Hey, good morning. How are we doing? Nine o'clock at Rocky Peak. Hey, awesome. Well, it is good to be with you once again. Whether you're here in the Worship Center or you're joining us over in the Ridge, we're glad that you're spending this time with us. My name is Dre. I'm one of the pastors here. And like Kelly said, if you're here for the very, very first time, I want to give you a special welcome. Welcome to Rocky Peak this morning. And we really hope that the Lord meets you just in a new and a powerful way. We're going to go into our time of teaching. But before we do, I want to highlight something. I want to reiterate something that Pastor Michael shared with us last weekend. And in fact, if you're on our email list, We sent you an email on Friday talking more about this, and that is about our next study, our church-wide life group study, and our teaching series, Pursuing God. Now, throughout this experience of Rooted, first of all, Rooted has been incredible, not just for us individually, not just for our life groups, and being part of an awesome life group, I've been able to see firsthand what Rooted has done, but Rooted has really been transformational for our entire church. In fact, our church is never going to be the same because of what God did through Rooted. And throughout the study, one of the questions that we've gotten more than anything is, this Rooted is great, what are we going to do next? What's happening after Rooted? And our answer has always been a joyful, we don't know. God led us to this part. And we were seeking him for what would be next. And we were starting to look at curriculums and what else is out there. And the reality is we didn't really find anything that would fit until God does what he does best is that he spoke and he threw us a curveball. And so with that, again, there's stories behind it that Michael's going to be able to share. But God is leading us as a leadership team to write the next study that we're going to be doing, which is Pursuing God 101. And so in a sense, this is going to be a continuation of Rooted, that it's going to follow the same format, that there's a journal, there's going to be five days of reading and interacting involved, but it's really going to dig into what I call the nuts and bolts of developing our rhythm, that if Rooted started the conversation, Pursuing God is going to continue it by having you explore your personal wirings, your prayer lives, the way you approach scripture, giving you a lot of options to show you what is your personal rhythm. And so I'm very, very excited to dig into this with you, just like like Rooted, this is going to be our life group focus, as well as we're going to be doing a corresponding teaching series kicking off in two weeks. Now, with that, part of the email you got off talked about that, like Rooted, there is a journal to correspond and go along with it, and pre-orders for that journal are open. Now, hear me clearly, pre-orders are open. We don't have them physically in the bookstore yet, but the pre-orders are open. It's $10 a journal, and I want to encourage you to go ahead and pre-order those now. The easiest way to do it is through the free Rocky Peak app. It's right there on the front page. And the reason why is just like we shared at Rooted, I hate lines and I hate standing in lines. And there's going to be a lot of people that are wanting this journal. And last time with Rooted, we told you if you want to avoid lines because lines are the dark side of the force, then go ahead and pre-order this book. And some of you didn't believe us and you ended up grumpy. And so grumpy pants, I wanna help you enjoy your experiences next time. Pre-order the book, join the light side. You can walk in and do a smug little laugh with those people that didn't pre-order as you go through. So you can do that now, either Rocky Peak Daughter or on the app. We're gonna go into our time of teaching, if you would. Inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. Great tool to help you follow along with the time of teaching. Great tool to help you jot down anything the Holy Spirit is prompting you to remember. I'm going to pray and we're going to get started. Father, we're here this morning because we want to hear your voice. 
Father, we're here this morning because we are gathered as your church to listen and follow to the leadership of Jesus in our life. Father, we don't have to ask you to speak because you are always speaking in our lives. Father, today we're going to open up your word, which is living and active. You are already speaking to us, and so our commitment as your church is, Jesus, we are here to listen. We are here to obey. We are here to apply. We are here to let your word transform us. And so let us listen to what you want to say to us individually, whether it's an encouragement, whether it's an area of freedom, whether it's a conviction or a challenge to remove the bondage of sin, whether you're calling us to repent in certain areas, whether you're unlocking new gifts, we are here to listen and follow. But we also say that collectively as your church, Rocky Peak, we want to be led by the King Jesus. And so again, Father, you are already speaking, and we are here to listen. As I often pray, let me as the communicator, let me become less. Let me fade into the background. Let me become the afterthought. And let you, our King, the Christ and Messiah, become much, much more in our eyes and our lives. We thank you for this time to gather together, Jesus. We look forward to how you're going to grow us during this time. In your son's name, everybody said... Amen. Well, this morning, I'm not only continuing the series we've been in for the last 10 weeks, I am actually concluding this series that we've been in the last 10 weeks. Believe it or not, we're done. We've made it to the finish line, and that series has been rooted the rhythm of relationship. And if you're here for the very first time, as we've been saying throughout this series, this is actually a great time for you to be joining us here at Rocky Peak. And so the heart behind Rooted is simple. God has an epic vision, both for our individual lives and for all of creation. And so the series of Rooted, as well as the life group study that we've been doing, has been focused on unpacking this epic vision that God has for each and every one of our lives. And it's been unpacking it in two core areas. The first area is in what we call our vertical relationship, our relationship with God the Father. And through Rooted, we have seen more of who God really is, that he is a brilliant creator, that he is our savior, that he has rescued us from from the bondage and destruction of sin. And through that, we have seen who we really are, that we have been redeemed, that we are his chosen people, that he has restored shalom, this peace and harmony and relationships with us. And the second area we've been exploring is our horizontal relationship. In light of who God is and who we now are because of that, how are we to see, to think, to treat all people within the church and outside the church. And last week we were talking about this. The topic on the table was sharing the message of Jesus, that all Christ followers are called to share the truth of Jesus, but there's many ways to do it. And one way that we focused on last week was that we are able to share the message of Jesus through friendships, through engaging in relationships, through seeing people not as projects that need to be repaired or fixed, but as opportunities to develop genuine engagement and friendship. And if you missed that message or any of the other ones in this series, I'd love to encourage you, go to YouTube and find Rocky Peak. You can get it through the app to be able to add context as they all build on each other. So this morning, the topic on the table as we wrap up this series is the church. What I mean is the gathering of the saints, the community of Christ followers. And specifically, Rooted asks a very key question. Why is the church important? 
Now, what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you to spend a moment and think about that rhetorically. If somebody right now were to ask you, why is church important? I get why Jesus is important, but why is church important? How would you answer that? What would be your go-to? See, the reality I have found is that for many Christ followers, we will acknowledge and we say church is important, but often our values, our ideas, and our actions send a different message. The reality is for many of us, we have adopted what I call a low view of the church for various reasons. Maybe we view the church as a finite thing that we do once a week. We view it as a place. Maybe we view church as, quote, a nice thing. Maybe we view church as a place where we hide from the outside world. But the danger in that is when we adopt a low view of the community of God, the church, how we ultimately see church is we see it as optional. There are many Christ followers who wholeheartedly believe that I can have a thriving relationship with God without actively being part of his community, without valuing the church as much as I value Jesus. In fact, there is also a growing number of people who call themselves Christ followers who would say, I love Jesus. I am all about Jesus, but I can't stand his church. And so I don't want to be a part of it. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to go back to God's word and we want to see, as we've been saying this whole series, if God has an epic vision for all of creation, what is his vision for the community of believers, for the church? And when we go into scripture, we see that God not only has a bigger vision for what church is, but he has a bigger vision for what our responsibility as Christ followers is towards this community. And we see that in God's vision, church, the community of believers, is absolutely essential to developing a proper rhythm of relationship. I like how it's put there on the front of your note sheet, one of the quotes from our reading this coming week. We are not only Christian people, we are also church people. Would you underline that? Highlight that we are not only Christian people, we are also church people. We are not only committed to Christ, we are also committed to the body of Christ. It is not a divine afterthought, it is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. And so what I want to do as we kick things off this morning is there's a passage of scripture by the Apostle Paul that, give, that unpacks this vision beautifully. And I want to unpack it and spend some time in it. So if you're following along with your note sheet, you've got a section titled, A New Vision for the Church. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you've got your apps, turn them on. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians being in the second half of our Bible, the New Testament. And as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 2, what I want to do is first I want to add a little bit of context. Now Ephesians is written 
by a man that we call the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote a majority of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, and many of his writings were actually letters that he wrote to specific people or he wrote to churches or Christ followers. Ephesians is one such letter, that he is writing a letter to the Christian church, to the Christ followers in and around one of the biggest and most famous Greek cities of the time, the city of Ephesus, which would be located in what today is modern-day Turkey. And what's significant about Paul writing this is at this point in history, the movement of Jesus is growing and it is exploding. When we look at Jerusalem, the number of of Jewish believers who are putting their faith in Jesus as Messiah is growing nonstop. But also what we see through the work of the Apostle Paul is the message and movement of Jesus is now also spreading to the to the non-Jewish world, what the Jewish nation would call the Gentile world. And why this is so significant was, if you remember, at the time of Jesus, many, uh, many in the Jewish nation believed that the salvation God brought was just for them that God was not here to save non-Jews, the Gentile world. And that created much hostility between the Jews and the Gentile. And it's within that backdrop that Paul is writing this to these Gentile believers in Ephesians chapter 2. And so we're going to be starting at verse 11. And I want to encourage you, if you've got a pen or a highlighter handy, if you've got your apps, have the highlight function, we are going to mark this passage up this morning. So let's start in verse 11. The apostle writes, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Now let's stop right there briefly. Paul is talking to non-Jewish believers, but he's doing so intentionally using explicit Jewish language. See, a non-Jew would not refer to themselves as a Gentile. They would refer to themselves as Romans or Greeks. This is a Jewish word that was used to identify them. As well as this term, if you were not Jewish, you were the uncircumcised. The, co- the, the symbol of circumcision was a symbol of the special covenant that Israel had with God. And that term became one in which they would distinguish between other people, groups, and cultures. So intentionally, Paul is speaking to them from a very Jewish perspective. But they would be familiar with these terms as these terms were used as descriptions against them, so to speak. So again, in verse 11, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. So let's stop right there. So Paul is starting with a contrast, and this is relevant for us as well, that Paul is asking them to remember who they were before Jesus came into their lives. And it's not meant to be a place of dwelling on guilt, but every so often, even in our own lives, if we stop to reflect who we were before, what our life was like, what our priorities was like, it gives us a deeper appreciation, it gives us a 
deeper sight for the transformation that God has done in each and every one of our lives. And so in this specific case, what Paul is doing is he is talking about the racial divide between Jews and Gentile. There was a lot of hostility between these people groups. In fact, it was one of the most uh, significant divides in the ancient world. And so to really understand this context, we need to take a brief view of this divide. And this starts going back to the beginning of our Bible, going into the Old Testament. See, the Jewish people had a special calling by God. They were awarded a special religious privilege, so to speak, that God called them at the beginning of the Bible to be a nation in many ways separate from the pagan nations around them because God was going to train up the nation of Israel and through the nation of Israel, the Jewish people would be his vehicle through which he would redeem the world. And so because of that special calling, they got special experiences. The Jewish nation was entrusted with the very words of God. The Jewish nation was entrusted with the presence of God through the tabernacle and the temple. The Jewish nation was the line through which the Messiah, the Savior himself, would come. And so we see that, but also what we also see in God's big picture is one day that calling, one day that privilege would be extended beyond the Jewish nation to all nations and to all people. And while the Old Testament focuses very much on the special calling the Jewish nation received, we see the secondary theme of one day it going to all nations throughout. A couple of key examples. In Genesis chapter 12, when God makes his covenant with Abraham, he says, through you, through the Jewish nation, we, you will bless all people. In the laws of Moses, as they're learning what it's like to be a Jewish nation, many, a couple of times, more than once, it comes up to love the foreigner and the alien, i.e. the Gentile, the non-Jew among you. In the prophets, they often prophesize about a day in which all nations would come and worship the God of Israel, would worship in the temple of Jerusalem. In the Psalms, we often see this uh, recurring theme of one day every nation will de declare, one day every knee will bow. And so we see that was always God's heart as he began with the special privilege of Israel that would one day extend to all nations. Now, the problem is, by the time of Jesus, this special calling had become distorted. What we see at the time of Jesus is many, much of the religious leadership and the establishment had misinterpreted this calling that now the separation between Jew and Gentile was meant to be permanent, that God was only in the game to save the Jewish nation and wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles. And we see this most clearly in why many of them did not accept Jesus as the Messiah, because he was not the Messiah they expected, because they had come to falsely believe that Messiah would be a political leader who would topple Rome and establish a nation for, establish a new Jewish nation and establish the them as the best of the best, so to speak. Now, let me stop right there and make a very, very clear point. This distortion, this misrepresentation, this placing of filters, as we would call it, this is not a uniquely Jewish problem. This is a people problem. 
This is a sin problem. This is something I am guilty of, that we are guilty of as well. Because one thing that we allow sin to do in our lives is to take the heart, the passion, the leading, the mission of God and to distort it, to make it something which it was not intended of. And so as we go on, then what this meant, if you were a Gentile believer, then when it came to the God of Israel, when it came to Israel's Messiah, you did not belong. As a Jewish, excuse me, as a Gentile person in the ancient world, that is what you knew. In fact, much of the Jewish leadership created and taught oral laws and tradition that they would literally call an iron wall or an iron fence around the law of God to support this exclusion. In fact, there were even some devout Jews who part of their morning prayers would include, God, thank you for not making me a Gentile. And so think about that. If you were a Gentile when it came to God, what you knew was alienation. What you believed was that the Messiah of Israel did not have any purpose or any affection for you. Now let's stop right there and would you emotionally connect with that? Because the reality is all of us can relate to that. Has there ever been a time in your life where you felt so clearly that you did not belong? Has there been a time in your life when you felt that not only did you not belong, but even spiritually, you did not belong with the people of God? You did not belong with Jesus, that you were made to feel that Jesus is there, but he does not have affection for me. He does not want me. This is the feeling in the Gentile world. And again, it's significant that now the message of Jesus is spreading to them and God is sending a new message. And so as we read, starting in verse 13, but now... So remember, we started with a formerly, but now we, but now in Christ Jesus, underline that. This is the catalyst for something new. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Underline that as well, by the blood of Christ. So the death and resurrection of Jesus is ending the old way of things and is ushering in a new way, a new world, if you will. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. Would you underline that? Has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in this flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Big box around that. Stars, flames, highlights. This is key because this is the vision for the church and to create one new humanity out of the two. Thus, making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The cross is where barriers of division go to die. That is the point that Paul is making. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to those who were far away, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. The message of Jesus is one that all people need. He preached 
peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And so a couple of things to highlight. This is God's vision for the church. Not that the church is a social club, not that the church is a building or a nice thing, but God, but Paul is using creation language. Remember in Rooted Week 2, we were introduced to God as a brilliant creator who spoke the universe into being, who created man in his own image. In that language, he is saying that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, what is now the people of God is a brand new creation. It is a new humanity, and we call that the church. And so he begins by talking about how through this new creation, God has brought his peace, his shalom, his restoration of shalom, which restores our relationships and harmony. Because of the work of Jesus, my relationship with God the Father is restored. Because of the work of Jesus, my horizontal relationships are restored in this new humanity. And did you catch the words he uses for peace? He doesn't say that Jesus gives us peace. What does he say? Jesus is our peace. So in this new humanity, God himself is ever present with his community. He is our peace. It is who he is. And so what we see is the barriers, what sin used to use to divide all people, whether it was racial, whether it was social, even if it was religion, those barriers have been transcended by a whole new creation which is the church. And so what we don't see here is we don't see, okay, Gentiles, you are now restored to become Jewish. Or Jews, you can now go and become Gentiles. What he has created is a whole new community that transcends both. And that community is called the church to fix the rift of division, whatever the division may be, Jew, Gentile, gender, geographic, economic, whatever the division is, it needed a new creation to transcend that. And that is still true today. As we are a divided people, what the church of God does is that it has an unparalleled supernatural unity. The church of God is now a reflection and a fulfillment of God's mission that a beautifully diverse group of people from around the globe are now united in one new community with Jesus as the focal point. And so as we continue to read verse 19, consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Highlight and underline that household. In the best and most truest sense of the word, that is family language. That as part of this new community, we are now literally family with God and with one another. Built on the foundation of the apostle and the prophets, basically the teaching of the message of Jesus, built on the foundation of the apostle prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises 
Moses to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, for Paul's readers, that word household was an especially, was an especially important word. And it's relevant for us today. See, in the Roman world, if you belonged to a household, that meant there were certain privileges that you got. In the Roman world, if you belonged to a household, it meant that you had security. It meant that you had a refuge. It meant that you had protection. But ultimately, being part of a household meant that you had an identity. You belonged somewhere. See, before Jesus, the reason we can relate is we were orphans. We were lost. We were out in the darkness. But now because of Jesus, we are not only restored in him, but we are restored to be part of this new community. And this new community is deeper than simply friendships. This is now the family of God. And just as they saw it in the Roman world, we find refuge, we find protection, we find belonging, but also we find identity by being part of the community of God. This new community, with Jesus as his head, is now what defines us. And then he goes on to talk about how this community is now God's holy temple. And again, that's powerful language, that the temple was understood to be the place where God chose to dwell. And in the history of the Jewish nation, we see this in many different ways, that it began with the tabernacle in the wilderness. And then that became the physical temple in Jerusalem, the place where God's presence was. And what Paul is saying is that now, because of Jesus, in this new community, the church, we, you, are where God chooses to dwell. You are now the temple. And again, in those last two verses, he uses the word in quite a bit. We are in Jesus. Because of this, we are in Jesus. And so think about it. If you were a Gentile believer, the message you had heard was always, you don't belong. You are excluded. You are excluded. Now, because of Jesus, the message is, you are an essential part of this family. You are an essential part of this household. The beauty of this new community is that it doesn't exclude or judge based on Jew and Gentile. It invites because of the power of Jesus. And that is true of you as well today. Whether you've been following Jesus for years and decades, whether you've been following Jesus for a matter of weeks or months, whatever your story has been, whatever your background, whatever your successes, whatever your failures, whatever your sin, because of Jesus, you are an essential part of this household. You are an essential part of this dwelling of God. You are a vital part of the temple. Because of Jesus, you are now home. And that is his vision for what it means to be part of the church community. And finally, what we see in what Paul is teaching is why the church community is essential, that the Christian life is not an individual life. The Christian life is a corporate life. It is meant to be lived with God always, and it is meant to be lived with one another in community. And so that's our passage this morning. And so what I want to do 
is I want to unpack two truths about God's vision for the church. And specifically why I chose these truths is that if we're going to embrace God's bigger vision for the church and embrace our responsibility in that vision, then what our starting point needs to be is we need to ask God to transform our sight, transform the way we see and therefore approach the church community. So there in your note sheet is your first fill-in, and the fill-in is this. Church is our new bloodline. Church is our new bloodline. And I'm sure the majority of us have heard the phrase or something similar to the phrase that blood is thicker than water, right? And what's being meant to be taught through that phrase? That family matters. In fact, what I like about that phrase is it's not only saying that family matters, but it's saying that family is a high priority. And that is absolutely true for believers as well is that we need to move away from church being family, from our view of church being family, as a nice sentiment. It sounds very hallmarky. It sounds very cute. Oh, that's a cute thing to say, church is family. We need to move away and understand that when Jesus says that sentiment, he is dead serious about it. It is absolutely true that we have a new bloodline, and that is because of our transformation. Think about this. Who you were before Jesus was an orphan, as I've mentioned, but also who you were before Jesus was dead in your sin, was living literal darkness. And so what changed that was the blood of Jesus. As his death on the cross washes over us, it doesn't make us a slightly better version of ourselves, as I've said many times from up here. It makes us a brand new creation. The blood of Jesus transforms us to now have a clear vertical relationship with God, but it also resurrects us to be part of this new community. It is his blood which now binds us. It is literally a brand new bloodline that we have. And we see this language throughout the New Testament. This was one of our memory verses a couple weeks ago in Rooted, but in Matthew 25, when Jesus is talking about helping the least of these, he uses the phrase, "If you, whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do for me. We see in 1 Corinthians 12, we looked at this when Paul was talking about our gifts and our abilities. He talks about that whether you were Jew or Gentile, whether you were slave or free, whatever used to define you, you have been baptized into one body. You've been baptized into one family. Now that family has a beautiful diversity, but it is still a united family. One of my favorite verses that I've said often from this stage is 1 John 3, 1, where the apostle says, how great is it that we should be called children of God, for that is who we are. See, the beginning of transformation in how we see church is understanding that it is a new bloodline. It is now our family. And a beautiful part of that is how it heals some of the hurts we have had from our earthly families. See, the reality is there's some of us in here that the word family is a very positive word because whether growing up or whether with our current families, we've had positive experiences. We've experienced love and identity and refuge and all those things. 
But also on the other side of it, the reality is there's many of us here that the word family is a highly charged word, even a negative word, because of the families we grew up in, because of what we've experienced. There's many of us in here that some of the worst hurts we've ever experienced has been by those that have called themselves our family. And if you're on that side of things, often it can be hard to reconcile this. When you hear that church is family, it can be hard because we compare it to what our family were like growing up. And if that's you, I hear you and I empathize with you. And I hope you hear that the message of Jesus is the family he has called us to is something much different. First of all, if you've been hurt by family before, know that Jesus has not ignored your pain, but as a follower of Jesus, he has entered into it with you. Secondly, know that Jesus has entered into it with you to lead you to a new definition of family. Know that by being part of God's family, you are now led by a father who will never hurt you, who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, and is for you now and for all of eternity. Family matters. And that's what this community is. It is now our family. I like how Trillia Newbell, uh, just an awesome speaker and author, she puts it there in your note sheet. I imagine you would agree without hesitation that family is important. There's another family often overlooked that is of great value to the Lord, the family of God. We are children of God and a, fa- and a fellow heir with Christ. He created us and then adopted us as his very own children. This includes everyone, every tribe and tone and nation who believes in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And what I love about her statement is that it reminds us that not only have we been resurrected to be part of a new family, but we are part of a beautifully large family. The family that we now are a part of, this new bloodline, is much bigger than Rocky Peak. There are many wonderful churches in our area meeting right now, and they are our family. We are family with Christians of different languages, of Christians of different cultures who are professing the risen Jesus. The study rooted that has impacted our church so much was from our brothers and sisters in Africa who are on the other side of the world have impacted their family family, whether they know it or not. Not only does the new community and family of God transcend cultures and geographical barriers, but it transcends time as well. In a literal sense, we are now bound to the Christ followers that came before us. The Apostle Paul who wrote this, Peter, James, and John, the disciples of Jesus, they are now our brothers. We are part of a beautiful family. We are all united by the ch- being the church led by Jesus. And so the first area of transformation is that, that we begin to see that church is a new bloodline. The second area of transformation is this. This is the second fill-in. Church is where we invest and receive. Church is where we invest and receive. And if you would, would you put a big box around the word invest? Because that's what this point is going to focus on. Because... Let's be honest. I'm going to be honest in my own life. We've got the receive part down, right? Like, I am of the personality that if somebody wants to give me something, if somebody wants to bless me, I am not the person that is going to stop them. Do you know when you're out with someone and they offer to buy your meal or they offer to buy you your Starbucks, what's the polite thing to do? Oh, are you sure? No, no, no. Let me. I don't even go that far. (laughs) 
if somebody wants to give me the opportunity to receive, I'm not going to deny them of that gift. And so hear me clearly, receiving from church is a good thing. It's one of the reasons why we're part of this community is we are here to receive. But the danger in that is, when the, is for many of us, that is where our participation can end. And we view church solely as a place we are going to receive, and we don't view it as a place in which we are meant to invest. But that is our responsibility, that we are here to also invest in our family. Let me illustrate it this way. Many of you know, it's no secret that I love movies. But part of loving movies is ever since I was a kid, I have also loved the experience of physically going to the movie theater. I just love that experience of the lights going down, being in a big room, watching it on a big screen with an awesome sound system. And I not only like that experience, but I like the whole shebang of it. When I go to the movies, I like being that person that has a giant soda. I like being that person that has dropped 20 bucks on a thing of popcorn. I like being that person that is enjoying his candy, which I snuck in because I spent $20 on popcorn. <laughs> it's $1 at Target's. You can't beat that. I love the whole movie theater experience. Now, one of the reasons why I love the whole movie theater experience is because it's one of those situations in which the whole reason I'm there is to receive. I am there to receive for a few hours to be entertained. Never in my life have I ever gone to the movie with the thought of how am I going to invest in them to help aid the movie-going experience. I had never thought that until my wife came along. And here's what I meant. When we started going to the movies together, you know, I would have my whole picnic of everything going on. We would watch the movies, and then when it was over, I would do what most of us do. I would get up and walk out, leaving everything as it was. And a few times into this, I began to notice that my wife wasn't following me. And so one time, I went back after her, and I found her cleaning up my garbage, cleaning up my mess. And not only mine, but I saw her cleaning up other things in our aisles. And immediately, I looked at her and went from my ivory tower, what are you doing? They have people for this. <laughs> That's their jobs. Recovering narcissist, I know, I know. And I always remember my wife's response. So, does that mean that I'm not going to help if I have the opportunity? Mic drop. <laughs> and the reason why I share that illustration is this heart an ideal of what are you going to give me? What am I going to get out of this relationship? Before we came to Jesus, that was the mark of our lives. That we approached every situation, we would approach every relationship, whether it's friends, marriage, school, work, whatever it is, with the beginning of that thought process, what am I going to get out of this? What am I going to benefit? What are you going to give me? It's a very selfish outlook. And the reality is that Jesus not only came and modeled a different worldview, not what are you going to give me, but what am I going to give to you? What am I going to invest? 
invest as being transformed in Jesus, he calls us to now reflect this attitude as well. And for our purposes specifically, this mindset is going from what am I going to receive, again, hear me, receiving from the church as well, to how am I going to invest in my family? And what I love about this opportunity is that it is not a burden, but it is a beautiful opportunity that God is giving you the opportunity to use your gifts, to use your abilities, to use your passions, to invest and grow us as a family. There, I like how it's put from your rooted reading this week. As part of a family, we are valuable contributing members, not just attendees. We contribute our time, money, ideas, and energy. We are not only served, but we serve as well. We are together for times of celebration, challenge, and everything in between. And what I love about that statement is that it highlights our role is that we're here to invest in doing life together. That's what it means to be a family, is that we are committed to learning how to grow and do life with one another. And so what I want to do with the time we have left is I want to unpack that, because there's many ways that we as Christ followers can invest in our family. And so what I want to do as we begin this dialogue is I want to look at three ways briefly that I think are foundational investments we can make. So there in your note sheet, you got a section titled Investing in Your Family. The first fill-in is this, invest by maturing. Invest by maturing. And so what I mean by that is this is where I begin probably the most important investment we can make in our family, whether it's my physical household, whether it is my church family and my church community is for me to be committed in thought and action to grow as a Christ follower. The best investment I can make is that I am committed daily to learning from my failures, to learning to listen and follow God's leadership in my life, to learning to bring a spiritual maturity in my life because that is why we exist. Because what happens when we mature is we are sending a very clear message that our family matters. Because by maturing in the faith, one, we are getting to know and spend time with our Father, Jesus, more and more. But secondly, we are learning from Him not only what His vision for our family is, but how to show and reflect the character of Jesus in how we approach and act towards our family. I like their very famous passage, Acts 2. But as we read this, I want you to see that they are committed to growing in their maturity, and with that, it impacts the growth of their family. So they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke, their, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." 
So do you see the progression that as they committed to their own spiritual maturity, their commitment to their family grew and they treated their family more as Jesus did, as Jesus would have us do. And so like I said, by committing to our maturity, we begin to see in a new way, we are given a new passion that family matters. And the reality is that while we're on this side of heaven still, family is imperfect. Family is messy. Family is hard. At times, family is painful. And so to be able to navigate that, to be able to do that well with one another, I'm going to need the character of Jesus poured into my life. And that is only going to happen when I am growing in maturity. And so when family becomes hard, when family becomes messy, as I am growing, I am learning to treat my church family with a love that surpasses failures, with a humility with a supernatural ability to forgive, with a wisdom, with a desire to serve. And so we want to make sure that the very first investment we make in family is in our own spiritual maturity because that is what maturity is. It is growing to be more like Jesus in all of our relationships. Now, practically, there are many ways we can grow as Christ followers, and I just want to focus on one briefly, which is through what we call the weekend church service. And I want to share something that was very instrumental in my life, and hopefully it'll be impactful to you as well. See, for most of my church-going life, like many of us, whenever I got in the car to leave church, the conversation I had was always the same conversation. Hey, what did you think about service this morning? What did you think about church? Now, that's not necessarily a negative question, but what I didn't realize was for me, and again, I'm just speaking for myself here, that was building kind of a critical spirit. And I began judging church service on whether or not they were catering specifically to me. And several years ago, I heard a pastor talking about the same struggle in his life, and he shared that God convicted him, and the Holy Spirit brought a new question into his life, that rather than asking, what did you think, he began to ask the question, what did you learn this morning? And as he said that, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I began applying that with my wife and with my friends. And what I realized is that changed my whole posture and expectation of what I experienced when I came here. That when I came here, it was no longer a pleasant surprise if I gained something out of the experience, but it was something that I was actively seeking and looking for. And as the Holy Spirit grew that in my life, it not only began something I asked about the message, it began to be a question I asked about every aspect of the church experience. And so I find myself weekly asking this question when it comes to our wonderful First Impressions team. Because of my experience with them, what have I learned this week about how to welcome people, how to greet strangers into our home, how to be warm, how to be inviting? When I come into the time of worship and, sing and singing, I'm asking myself, what did I learn through these songs about the character of Jesus? What did I learn about the power of declaring the truth of who God is, declaring hope and purpose and a future? When it comes to the time of announcements, I begin asking myself, what did I learn about using my gifts and abilities to serve the local community? What did I learn about opportunities that God might be stirring in my heart? When it comes to the teaching, not only with the topic at hand, but I begin asking myself, what have I learned about how to use the Bible? Whether I learned something about why a book is called this, or where to find something, or how to read it, that I can apply in my one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. And so that question is a simple question, but it could be a profound one that changes 
changes how we engage the weekend experience. So that's the first investment we can make is we invest by maturing. The second investment is that we invest by uniting. Is that we invest by uniting. And division is the quickest way to destroy a family. We have seen that happen in our own physical families. We have seen that happen too often in many church families. That we as a people, one of the tugs we still have to the sinful life is to be divisive, is to attack unity. In fact, in John's gospel in chapter 10, when Jesus describes the enemy, he describes him as being someone who has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And he has come to kill our unity, to steal it, and to destroy it. And nothing destroys the family of God quicker than divisions. And we are a people that are divided over everything. And not just simple disagreements, but this is true of myself as well, that we allow sin to get a foothold in our life, that we are disunified and we are proud of our disunity. We see that in the world at large, in every topic imaginable, but we also see that in the church and the Christian world, that we divide, we slander, we fight against each other, we are a warring family, and yet somehow we have the nerve to invite people to come and join us. And the message we are sending is our family is not only a mess, but it is violently opposed to one another. Don't you want to come and join that? And the reality is God's vision for the church is to not look like the world around us, but God's vision to the church is to show the supernatural of God, that only the power of God can bring an unparalleled unity in a world that has none. And so for us as Christ followers and members of this family, it is now our responsibility to actively seek and pursue unity within our family. What I love is that the Apostle Paul addressed a an issue of disunity in the church at Corinth. See, there was an issue that the church was breaking into factions over who they viewed as being the true leader of their church. And some of them said, Peter is our true leader. Some of them said, Jesus is our true leader. Some of them said, Paul is our true leader. Some of them said, Apollos, this popular speaker and disciple, was our true leader. But regardless of the faction, it mirrored worldly divisions that this is our camp and you're either with us or you're against us. And this is what Paul says there in your note sheet. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there would be no divisions among you, but that you would be perfectly united in mind and thought. And so understand what unity is. And the New Testament does a good job of unpacking this. Unity is not conformity. Unity is not looking the same and acting the same. God has created us with a beautiful diversity. Unity is also not avoiding conflict. We saw that from the video for Fight Night, that conflict can be a great opportunity for intimacy. Unity is also not is also uh, rejecting having an opinion or having passions. The reality is that a mark of a healthy person and a mark of a healthy family is one that can not only do 
do conflict well, but it's one that can passionately disagree well. So the reality is that unity is not avoiding all of those things, but it's learning to do it well. In other words, being committed to unity is being committed to loving the other person as Jesus does no matter what. Even if we passionately disagree, even if we are on the right side of an argument or a discussion, above all else, I am committed to loving this person. I was recently listening to a message from a preacher I love, Louis Gigloo, and he was talking about something similar. And he said that I, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't mind if people disagree with me. What I don't want said is that I didn't love them. And so our responsibility is to pursue unity. Now, this is a bigger topic than we have the opportunity to dig into, and there's many ways to do this. I want to begin the dialogue in just one way, and that's by focusing on what I call our trigger issues. See, we all have areas in our life in which if people disagree with us, we're like, fine, we disagree. But all of us have areas in our lives. As I examine myself, I realize I have many of these areas that I call trigger issues in which time stops in which the minute we are challenged or opposed, the rage fills, we hulk out, so to speak. And all we can think about when it comes to the other person is they must be destroyed. (laughs) And as I mentioned, sometimes we feel that way even if we are on the right side of that argument, even if we are defending the integrity of Christ and the gospel and his perspective. But the temptation is to destroy and losing this command that Peter gave us in one of his books to do so with gentleness and respect. And so if we're going to begin to learn to pursue unity, for me, we have to start with what our trigger issues are. And here's the steps that I would give you with that. The first and foremost step is to go before the Lord and not only ask him to identify what are the trigger issues in your life, but to ask him to identify why it's such a trigger in your life. Where does this come from? Is there a sense of pain or hurt or insecurity? Honestly, sometimes the Lord will affirm a passion through that in you will and teach us a new level of gentleness and respect, even if we're right in honoring God in our opinion. The second thing is, and I can only speak for myself here, is I need accountability. And so I need to go to someone like my life group and be honest about this trigger issue and go, I'm really bad at disagreeing in this area. Can you help walk with me in this? Can you help remind me that I want to display gentleness and respect because I can still be right about an issue, but I don't want to be, a, or at least want to give every opportunity to not alienate with that issue as well. So there's that. Now the third fill-in, is that the third investment we can make is we invest by expanding. And this is what we were talking about last week, that our family is one that is constantly growing. And our mission in sharing the message of Jesus is to invite people to join our family. And I put the scripture Michael went over last week, and I just want to read the first part. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Another way we can view that word disciple is go and make brothers and sisters. 
Go and invite people to join us. And again, we talked about this last week, so I'm not going to dig too much into it, but I just want to paint one picture for you. And it's a picture that comes out in weddings. Now, I've been a pastor on staff for many, many years. I also, uh, on the side, did several years where I was a professional DJ. So just speaking professionally, not as an invited guest, I have been a part of numerous weddings. I think the approximate number is 10,000 weddings. And when it comes to weddings, I'm not so surprised anymore. I've seen just about everything. I have seen weddings that were literal three-ring circuses and productions. I have been to the smallest, most intimate weddings where it's just the couple and maybe another, maybe another uh, group of people. But while I'm not surprised, no matter how many weddings I work at or I attend, there are a few moments that always get me emotionally. One of those moments is when the groom sees the bride for the first time. Another one of those moments is the daddy-daughter dance. And what's significant about that for me is I've always been an unemotional, stoic person. And then I made the mistake of having kids. And they gave me all kinds of emotions. And whenever I see the daddy-daughter dance, even with complete strangers, I picture my daughter and I just start crying and I have to walk out of the room. But the third thing that always gets me is whenever somebody is giving a speech, and it could be a parent of the bride or groom, it could be a family member, but they are sharing their excitement about this marriage because their family has expanded. We have gained another member of our family, and that is absolutely beautiful. And for us, that is part of our maturity and our approach that not only are we family with one another, but we are excited for our family to grow. This ties into last week really well, but that is why we are on mission and share the Word of God. Amen? Hey, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on out. And as we wrap up with this final song, this is a song that we've sung before at Rocky Peak, but it's especially powerful for our message this morning that it talks about how everything is different when Jesus comes into play. And especially in light of this, this idea of church and community is radically different because of the work of Jesus. And so let this be our prayer and our declaration. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have brought us home. Thank you that you have called us to a new community, to something that transcends what used to define us. Thank you that we are part of this new body, this household, that we are your sons and daughters, regardless of your story. Thank you that as we're going to sing, when you walked into our lives and walked into the room, everything changed for the better. And so I pray that we would see this community as you do. I pray that we would begin to be transformed and see it as our bloodline, as our family, as a place in which we get to invest and pour into, that we would be active in seeking how can I best give to my family as Jesus gives to me. Thank you for your truth, Jesus. Thank you for this community. And as we receive our tithes, our gifts, our offering, thank you for the faithful saints that continue to fund your mission here at Rocky Peak. We love you, Jesus, in your son's name. Everybody said amen. Let's stand together and sing. You know, I'm reminded how several years ago I was visiting a church in New York and it was a great experience all around, but the thing I remember the most is when you entered their building all around, everywhere you could look, whether it was on banners or signs, they had the same message, welcome home. And as we enter into this Easter season, as we reflect on the cross and the empty tomb, those are our eternal banners that say the same message, that because of Jesus, we are now home.
We are no longer orphans, but we are now a part of a bigger community of this beautiful tapestry called the church. And so as we leave this place, I want to encourage you, may this be a week in which you reflect and enjoy your sonship or daughtership in the house of the king. May this be a week in which you are excited that you have the opportunity to invest in your family. May this be a week in which we see the church as God sees it, his family, his household, with him at the end. Amen? If you'd like some prayer in either venue that you're in alongside my right or some amazing men and women who would love to pray with you. Next week, I really invite you to come and join us. We're going to be celebrating the end of Rooted, and we've got a very unique and awesome service plan. We're going to be celebrating by sharing stories. We're going to sing special songs. We're going to baptize. In fact, we want to be all together for that weekend. So next week, the ridge isn't going to be open. We're going to cram us all in together, and we're going to have this family style. But I hope you are with us. Don't miss it. Have a great week, Rocky Peak. We'll see you then. Thank <laughs> you.